Welcome to episode number eight of Sound and Strain with Ryan Cano. And you already know, I'm your host, Ryan Cano. Keeping Austin weird since I arrived here in 1999, this is your podcast for music business discussions, good music to listen to, cannabis business chats, and medicinal conversations, and just a whole lot more. We're going to just get right into this episode, so let's fucking go! Yo, yo, hey y'all, what is up? Welcome to the show that is coming to you in DIY HD stereo quality another week closer to thanksgiving and christmas and wow what a fucking year i mean 2020 is nearly over there's still aspects of my mind suspended in march 2020 ever since covid19 came to shut down the music industry as well as you know redirect our everyday lives it's wild to think that it's eight months since uh this all started and to be honest i'm not sure what we have done in quarantine to really help where we are now we've had confusing messaging from those in charge who just wanted to politicize an airborne virus uh there's really there's no national plan there's not even allowing joe biden's campaign to transition at all like not even on covid19 so something can actually be done uh we are just being allowed to die off and it seems like you know, Trump will kill as many of us on the way out as possible. It's fucking, it's just crazy. Uh, Texas is spiking, and as of this recording, there's no calls to scale back uh, to stop the spread. We're, we're not shutting down anything. So the longer we hold off on a proper shutdown, the longer that shutdown is going to end up being once we have to face reality. So I say this as someone who wants you to live as long of a life as possible. Please be safe this winter holiday season. And just remember, just because you love someone and care for them and respect them, I mean, that does not... Uh, you know, it does not make them safe to be around. And if you are able to, please get a test before Thanksgiving and get another COVID test before Christmas. Help get everyone you're meeting up with to get one of these tests. Peace of mind is a vacation. And I guarantee you'll feel less anxiety that you may be unknowingly harming one of your closest loved ones. I'm personally keeping it together, my get together really small, like real small. It's just going to be me, my mom, and that's it. We're both getting COVID tests beforehand, and we're just trying to be as safe as possible about this. I have, you know, a re- kind of a regular size immediate family, but a pretty big, large extended family. And with a family net that has like my cousins almost being like brothers and sisters. So trimming back a big get together, especially during Thanksgiving, just really feels awkward. It's hard, especially after many of us have been secluded indoors and taken the pandemic as serious as humanly possible. You want that reward of seeing all your loved ones, especially after being so good up to this point in quarantining. And, you know, and I feel that magnetic force just grabbing me too. Um, I want to see everyone on both sides of my family. You know, anyhow, grab a test if you can. If you have not tested before, I will say that it's not super comfortable, but it's also not really that bad. The cotton swab goes pretty far up your nose. Get ready for that. Uh, But it stays up there for like 10 seconds and then it's done. And for me, it kind of triggers that I'm about to sneeze feeling 
it's more than anything that's what i feel as opposed to like it being just this totally uncomfortable thing uh, and and what i'm really getting at is is a very doable test don't be scared and if it helps you mentally just ask your tester to be a smooth hand or or some shit like that um of course everybody keep washing and sanitizing your hands every chance you get please wear a mask in public and i say all these things as someone who had a cousin visit this past weekend that i hadn't seen in at least 12 years we couldn't quite remember but a long time and i found myself getting too relaxed you know we were distanced but we also were you know unmasked a lot of times and i was doing that just because i felt comfortable you know comfortable being around a family member it was really easy to get get out of my habit of what i've been doing this entire pandemic so i just say this as someone you know who is human just like you all that there's just moments where you're gonna get weak and it's gonna come around family because you love them so much so just be careful i saw on the news i think it was a cnn clip that 40 percent of americans are planning a thanksgiving of greater than 10 people and man like this seems like it's going to be a very bleak winter that's just kind of on brand for 2020 just being bleak but there's no question people are going to die after their large get-togethers and that just that's just fucking depressing so yeah again please be safe smart just take care of yourself and take care of others moving on did you watch jackie vinson's austin city limits performance this past weekend she was coupled on her episode with an older performance from legendary gospel singer mavis staples and first of all that is just great programming pairing especially for older fans that might have been skeptical about getting into something new well here's a legendary artist to couple with a new legend jackie and y'all that that performance was just so fucking good. I just can't imagine the nerves, you know, she was feeling inside and those juices that were running through her veins and her band's veins. But, you know, it's a whole other thing that completely not even, like, notice that on the screen. She just completely owned the performance. And this is an amazing feat for a homegrown talent. She's born and raised in Austin, Texas. And she cut her teeth in the clubs in Austin, Texas. And now here she is on one of the most storied television programs from Austin's history. Amazing. Jackie also had a just a superb dress on. A, a powerful dress. Uh, her dress was, you know, all black. And in white uh, lettering, it stated all the names of black victims of police violence. And I stated this on episode one. I'm just going to go ahead and state it to you again for you fucks out there who just get big mad about shit like this. Black lives matter. And if you disagree with me, seriously, go argue with your mom. I don't care about your incorrect takes. Don't give a shit about it. This isn't an all sides zone. You ain't going to all sides bigotry with me and hate with me. Fuck all that shit. Fuck out of here. This show ain't for you. Black lives matter. Period. Anyways. So not only was Jackie dressed for the moment and she was just ready for the moment in general. She made a statement that was bigger than her own music 
and she put on a show that was showcasing how big her music is. Jackie's guitar prowess was on display for everyone to see. Her new album, Vintage Machine, is a perfect showcase of Jackie stretching her songwriting while maintaining a sense of self. The more you see her and listen to her live, the less inclined you are to compare her to her influences and more inclined to just recognize her own stardom. In this music climate, I truly wonder what's next for Jackie because she is really ready for the national spotlight in such a bigger way. And I'm talking like late night TV. She's ready, in my estimation, to show up on Stephen Colbert. I hope Late Night TV caught her Austin City Limits performance and they call up her team and give her a shot. You know what, actually, if someone from Jackie's team is listening to this episode, send me an email about this um, before I forget. I doubt you need my help at all, but if you do, I do have uh, a few contacts at Late Night TV that I could at least help introduce you to. Uh, Anyhow, this seems like a really great spot to take a break to listen to a track from Jackie Vincent's current LP, Vintage Machine, which is out everywhere music can be found. Be right back, y'all.
That was Jackie Vinson with Make Me Feel from her latest album, Vintage Machine, which you all can find on Bandcamp, Spotify, and at your local record store. Buy or stream yourself a copy of Jackie's latest venture. There is not a hotter star in Austin right now, perhaps other than Black Pumas. Big congrats to Jackie her band, and her team in creating such an event around a really good album. I had a friend of mine recently suggest I check out ZZ Top's 1985 album Afterburner. Afterburner was at this time considered, you know, bunk from ZZ Top fans, but since has garnered quite a cult following it amongst their fans uh, now. And my buddy Kevin Sparks sent it my way and we chatted some about it and he described it to me as if ZZ Top decided to score Beverly Hills Cop with some moments that sounded like ministry. I fucking love that description, so I checked it out, and it immediately gave me some Jackie Vinson vintage machine vibes. ZZ Top's Afterburner is definitely darker and more sinister, where, you know, Jackie's work is a lot more cheerful and brighter in my estimation, more uplifting. Uh, But they both shared this really vintage, kind of upbeat, sort of like... uh, sequenced out arpeggiated sort of like things happening just really interesting musical moments they both share zz tops afterburner is definitely darker it's more sinister but both of these albums have guitar work that just sings to the high fucking heavens anyhow let's switch gears some and start chatting about headlines in music business and in entertainment at large it was announced yesterday that scooter bronze ithaca holdings sold off taylor swift's catalog from big label machine group which was acquired for around 300 million some mere 17 months ago it is reported that taylor's catalog sold for around 300 million to maybe as high as 450 million dollars fuck Well, that basically means, you know, Mr. Scooter got Big Label Machine Group for free. So, Big Label Machine Group owns the master recordings from artists like Tim McGraw, Rascal Flatts, Sugarland, and Midland. So, if this was the master plan from the beginning, in some ways, it's just just a brilliant business move from a publishing assets perspective. And I'm just saying it from a publishing assets perspective. To acquire income-earning intellectual property assets for free is about as shrewd as it comes. Now, the history between Scooter and Taylor uh, is beyond complicated. In fact, it's it's almost weird to stick up for anyone between those two, but in this fight, I side with the artist. I side with Taylor. It very much seems like revenge and being vindictive was part of the motivation, not only for Scooter, but the former owner and now CEO of Big Label Machine Group, which is Tony Borchetta. And I hope I'm saying his last name right. No disrespect if I did not. Um, But I can also, you know, remember 17 months ago, the Instagram stories from Scooter reposting his friends saying things like, when your friend buys Taylor Swift, in all caps. So obviously some still some revenge at play here. Tony obviously felt spurned because he wasn't able to re-sign his most prized artist on his label once Taylor's original contract ended. I'm going to still contend that Big Label Machine Group and Tony really fucked up by not re-upping Swift. They should have offered her a vanity record label that Big Label Machine Group would distribute and finance with her owning her master recordings in full, but administered by the label. Then they should have provided a path to repurchase her older catalog to be re-released under the same vanity label, which of course, Big Label Machine Group would be distributing. Then give her escape clauses in the event of a record label being sold, etc. Like, give her some powers. Give her partnership. Give her total 
total support for her vision going forward. That would have been the move. I mean, guys, keeping her happy and in the family would have, with a super friendly artist deal, because you know that her catalog brings your label its supreme value, is just a good business move. I mean, half the record label's value, maybe most of its value, was Taylor Swift and what she's produced. I mean, you have her first five albums. You don't want the next five? Just fucking crazy. I mean, we're talking about the most popular artist of the last decade besides maybe Drake. And Drake had his OVO records, you know, super early in his career. So the fact that her label didn't even offer that early on and didn't even just bend over backwards to make a deal is just bonkers. Taylor left for Universal Music Group and then it appeared Scooter and Tony kind of went on this pairing mission with full knowledge that Taylor would hate it. Taylor's beef with Scooter goes back to her beef with Justin Bieber and Kanye West who Braun has managed in the past. Uh, Kanye's actually had several managers but I know he's uh, Bra Scooter Braun has managed him for at least a time and Taylor believes the bullshit that was kind of sent her way from those two artists were in part orchestrated for PR by Scooter Braun. So just completely under handed stuff and I honestly can't believe the terrible look this gave Scooter and how proud he was after the fact. It is a great business win, but it's a terrible look for an artist manager to treat another artist in such a Wall Street sleazy sort of way. The fact they couldn't see that it would look like that from the outside is mind-boggling to me. And when that acquisition was announced, Scooter had his artist sticking up for him after Taylor released her statement about it. And I expect in some ways that was going to happen, but what it just really felt forced. Like it was damage control, damage, just spin PR. So the method was basically flood good stories to drown out the bad stories. And that part is just weird as fuck to me. Like, make the shrewd move and own it. Don't be asking people to love you and to love the move you made. You know this is about money at the very least and spite at the worst. So just take the criticisms on your way to the bank. And for those of you out there right now going, well, it's just business. It's only business, man. It's, it's just business. Only bad business people say shit like that. Assholes say shit like that. You can do good business and be good too. Anyhow, now that you're caught up on the history sum, what brings us here today is that Taylor Swift let it be known to her fans that Shamrock Holdings now owns her catalog. When she learned that her catalog would go and sell, she wasn't given an honest chance to bid on it because she was presented an incredibly restrictive NDA from Scooter Braun's team, basically not allowing her to talk about Scooter unless it's positive. She had to sign that just for the shot at buying back her catalog, and of course, that bid may not have been quote-unquote one then she'd still be restricted by that NDA so that started in bad faith and Taylor's team found out about Shamrock Holdings when they reached out to her after the acquisition of her catalog they mentioned they would have reached out to Taylor Swift and her team during the process but were restricted from Scooter Braun and company from doing so during the negotiations so now Taylor Swift's catalog has new owners and she was looking forward to working with them going forward but then learned that Scooter would still benefit somehow on her catalog from the deal he made with Shamrock. So that was a non-starter for her. Shamrock Holdings has said all the right things in terms of wanting to work with her and I bet eventually they will get there. Or maybe just another holding company has to acquire it for the right recipe to be had for that marriage. I don't know. 
Now, Shamrock Holdings may indeed own the master recordings for her first five albums, the ones she did with big label Machine Group, but from what I understand, she owns her publishing. Any licensing sync situation is going to require her to sign off on it. She can largely kill a huge amount of her catalog's value by re-recording all her previous songs, denying any sync usage from the big label Machine Group days, and only approving the sync from her re-recorded songs, thus reassigning value from her past catalog and transferring its earning power onto the new recordings. This is a bit of a poison pill, if you will. Shamrock Holdings, in many ways, has to partner with her for them to see the maximum value they got in retaining her past catalog. Otherwise, Expect her catalog to flip again if they can't find a way. There's no doubt Taylor wants to earn on her past songs and songwriting as she very well should. But imagine with me for a moment that if she didn't give a fuck about that, like she wouldn't necessarily have to re-record her catalog. She could just deny all sync uses, which would be punk as fuck. Like that would just go so fucking hard. Like that would be such a fuck you money move. Taylor would be straight up a gangster for doing that shit. Holy shit, could you imagine? Uh, but yeah, she wants to earn as much as she can, and she most certainly should. So she let her fans know yesterday that she has started the process of re-recording all her old songs and that the process has been creatively rewarding. Swift is free to re-record songs from her first five big label machine group issued albums as of this month. While most contemporary recording contracts have provisions prohibiting the artist from recutting material for a number of years, usually a long number of years, Taylor likely had favorable terms in her contract that would make her songs eligible for re-recording at a certain point after the end of each album cycle, not the end of her overall contract, which is what a great lawyer gets you. Man, such drama. This is why many people loathe the music industry. If a musician with the legal representation that Taylor has and the success she has comes across such cutthroat fuckery like this, what is a musician with no bargaining power going to face? I mean, Taylor is represented by Donald S. Passman. Yes, that Donald S. Passman from the life-changing book All You Need to Know About the Music Business, which is a book every single one of you out there listening who wants a career in music should read. She has the best lawyer in the game, and this is how the industry responded to her. Artists like Taylor can bring the conversation around the rights and powers that artists should retain or be able to get back after a while. What is right and wrong about this business, she can really shine a light on industry issues. So what does a good custodian of an artist's rights and a record label look like going forward? To me, partnership is a way going forward for labels. I mean, Jimmy Iovine knew that with Interscope and he would set up like, you know, sister label deals, Death Row Records, 50-50 ownership. Like he was just real smart about that. Administration of publishing rights instead of complete ownership is a way forward. In my mind, labels are going to largely become artist services in the future anyhow. So it's imperative that they figure out a way to make this marriage and commerce more smooth for creators. The closer that record labels start resembling artist services, the better position artist managers are going to be in my opinion because who knows how to service an artist career better than a manager other than maybe the artists themselves. Now, if you've been keeping track of publishing acquisitions and the headlines, you absolutely can tell that publishing intellectual property music is just hot, 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 like 
hot as fuck. Publishing assets are currently running at multiples well over 12, with master rights slightly lower but increasing in value. For those not super into business and merger and acquisitions, just think of it as publishing selling at 12 times its current day revenue for the most part. Uh, one industry insider privy to such deals recently says in 5 to 10 years, that valuation continues to rise. While this investor advises against selling intellectual property right now, for this very reason that the value keeps going up. Others are eyeing an incoming Biden administration as the reason to divest of such property, anticipating a major change uh, to capital gains taxes come 2021. So of course, this business activity is partially related to tax avoidance for the 1% elite. Another investing holding group, uh, Hypnosis Songs, have snapped up catalogs from the likes of Timbaland, uh, Eurythmics, Dave Stewart, who has a super cool show on NBC called Songland. Hypnosis has also acquired rights from Jack Antonoff and Jeff Basker, amongst others. Between March 2019 and March 2020, the company spent nearly $700 million to acquire 42 catalogs. As recently as last week, Hypnosis purchased a 50% stake in Rick James' catalog across both publisher and writer's share, and an additional 50% of his recorded music masters. James's Super Freak is one of the most referenced and sampled riffs in modern music. Concord Music Group has become a mini-major, acquiring mini-labels and publishing companies and bringing them into the fold, and they have spent around $1 billion in the process of doing that after receiving an influx of cash from their new owners, Wood Creek Capital Management. So if you want to know where the party is in music business right now, it's in publishing and it's in music tech. All other areas don't really seem to be as action-packed as that side of the biz. So fuck, man. What a nightmare for Taylor Swift. For someone as rich and powerful as Taylor Swift is as an artist, it has to be demoralizing seeing her life's work at this point tossed around like a financial volleyball. I cannot remember the last time an artist who has had to re-record their past catalog for various reasons or other was in their prime when this move was made. Has it ever? This move is typically done near the end of career for older artists. Uh, Sometimes it's because they had several record labels, they want to put on a greatest hits album, and it takes too many rights to make something like that happen, so they re-record it. And Taylor right now is in her prime. She's 30 years young with nearly half her life in the music industry already. So her ability to redo her songs, add interesting flares, and maybe some more adult moments could reap huge returns. A box set of her newly redone album could be dope as hell too. She could really package it in a way that would create quite a collector's moment for her fans and would really reward her fans for their loyalty. A lot to keep your eye on but yo, I went on slightly longer than I anticipated so let's take a quick sesh break, grab your favorite strain while we listen to some sounds from Velcro Wolf. Be right back y'all. Try, 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 try to fight Tyranno 
That was Velcro Wolf with the song Tyranno from his brand new album, Destroyer of Batteries. If you are a fan of the show, you already know what's up. Velcro Wolf provides the quote-unquote theme music that I've been using at the start of our shows from a track of his called Walkman Wars. My company, The Loyalty Firm, has been providing consulting management services to Velcro Wolf, helping him guide the choppy waters that is the current music business. You can find Velcro Wolf's debut album on Bandcamp as a free download. Actually, it is a name-your-own-price download, so it is 100% free, or if you feel charitable, you can leave a few bucks in there so Velcro Wolf can keep bringing great music to you all. Go grab a copy of Destroyer of Batteries on Bandcamp today or stream on your favorite platform. Let's get into Strain Talk. The Strain of the Week is Three Bears OG. This is an auto-flowering cross of Bear OG, Karma's OG Cut, and Triangle Kush. Although precise THC levels have yet to be published, all signs point to this bud being rather high on the charts. Nugs tend to be hard to the touch, but make up for that with their immensely thick coating of resin and crystals. What's more, the flavors you get from Three Bears OG are pretty mind-blowing as juicy watermelon blends with the other fruits for a sweet and bright treat. This is a nighttime strain, y'all. Mentally relaxing activated for some hunger and it lets you sleep. Those with headaches, body aches, and insomnia will be rewarded by this strain. I personally have fibromyalgia and the numbing effects on your nerve pain is wonderful. If you tend to have restless legs when you sleep like I do, you'll notice you won't move around nearly as much uh, and which is great because I constantly wake my own self up from moving my legs around a bit too much. If you run across this strain at your favorite dispensary, go ahead and grab it please because they require a bit of cultivation experience to get the desired final buds. So this is a well-grown, well-crafted strain to explore for medicinal uses and for those who want to kind of chill at night and grab some snacks. Moving on to movie news, entertainment news actually, it was announced yesterday that Cinemark Theaters and Universal Pictures, which by the way is not a related company of Universal Music Group, there's a huge history of mergers and acquisitions there, but they share a similar name but are not the same company, not even the same holding company, they are not related. It's weird, huh? Uh, anyhow, Cinemark made a deal with Universal Pictures to bring theatrical movies more quickly to home entertainment. Universal Pictures made a pact with AMC Theaters a few months back that really shocked the industry. That pact gave Universal the option to put new movies on digital rental services about seven days after the theatrical release and that's what shocked everybody uh, the typical time frame is 75 to 90 days so you know it cut it dramatically in exchange for this Universal would share in digital profits with AMC theaters Cinemark has agreed to slightly different conditions under their terms, any movie that earns more than $50 million in the opening weekend ticket sales has to stay in the theater for at least 31 days or five weekends. All other titles can be made available to rent on digital platforms about 17 days afterwards. I find this interesting for several reasons. Uh, it kind of hits a trifecta of things. 
In the profit share part of the agreement, theaters are able to subsidize potential losses for movies being sent digitally early out to platforms to be rented. On the other end, Universal Pictures can send a movie digital that is underperforming at the theaters to help offset some potential losses. So there seems like a good deal all around for both parties. This also speaks to consumer demands, which is to have our movies now and streaming wherever we feel like. With COVID-19 hitting its third wave, which is really its original first wave, uh, that's closed many theaters. The longer audiences get used to not going to the movies, is it likely they never return? I think about that with club shows too for live music. The longer we get into the habit of living our lives a certain way, the more likely we stay in that routine. And it just makes me wonder how in-person experiences across the entertainment spectrum will be affected. Will we be craving the experiences and overload on doing things in person? Will we just get used to quarantining inside and get used to not being social? I, I don't know. Uh, close to my neighborhood is what's called Flick's Brew House, which is a dine-in movie theater with a brew pub inside. It is very much the Alamo Draft House concept, plus the mini brewery on site. Anyhow, they, uh, they announced their indefinite closure across all their theaters, and I can see many others following suit. Uh, sadly, we're going to see COVID-19 continue to wreck economies, especially entertainment economies until we get it under wraps. Until a vaccine is distributed, we need to all just wear our masks and wash our hands and distance as much as possible. And with that, that is all I have for you this week, my beautiful friends. If you have yet to subscribe or follow the show, please hit that button on the streaming platform you are using right now. Coming soon to the show will be some interviews, y'all. And I know, I know I've, I've said it before, but it's coming, I promise. Uh, I think I have the bandwidth to try to tackle that on the production and editing side of the things now. And I'm still getting used to using Reaper, which is the Pro Tools-like program I use to put together this show. So... Again, thank you for listening. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. If you have an email, some questions you'd like to send the show, please go to soundandstrain.com and just go to the contact section and you can find me right there. Playing us out this week is none other than Austin's Moving Panoramas. Moving Panoramas are one of Austin's really great bands. You probably remember them from episode 6. They have amazing vocals, amazing songs, amazing live shows, and amazing albums. Moving Panoramas' latest album is called N2, which is out now on Modern Outsider Records. You can find this LP on Bandcamp, your local record store, or wherever music is found digitally online. Thank you to Moving Panoramas, thank you to Velcro Wolf, and thank you to Jackie Vinson for their permission in using their super rad music. Y'all go show them some love, find them on Instagram, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and follow them. The track taking us home is ADD Heart from Moving Panoramas. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and an even better weekend. Peace.
Hi, Katie.